Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Another important key distinction that a lot of investors appreciate about our group is that we don't just look for other people's money. We're putting our own hard-earned money into these deals and these projects, and they want to see that. Best ever listeners, where are you going to be on February 22nd and 23rd? I am visualizing that you're going to be in Denver, Colorado, because that's where the best ever conference is, and that's when it is, February 22nd, 23rd. Go to besteverconference.com and even put in take five so you get 5% off your ticket. So that is T-A-K-E and the number five whenever you purchase your ticket. And buy now because ticket prices go up weekly. So go to besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference, the agenda, the speakers. We've got an incredible speaker list focused on commercial real estate. So that includes five plus units if you're in multifamily. And you're going to get a lot of value from this conference. Go to besteverconference.com. It's the third time we've done it. It improves every year and we have raving reviews. I'm not just saying it. Ask people who have attended every year. Besteverconference.com. Enter take five, T-A-K-E five when you purchase your ticket and get an extra 5% off. Ticket price is going up weekly, so get it today. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Dan Hanford, how you doing, Dan? Doing great, Joe. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Dan. He currently owns several online businesses as well as five specialty medical clinics in South Carolina with a business portfolio valued at over $16 million. He's a trusted advisor to physicians across the country. He's also the founder of Hanford Capital, which is a 100-plus unit multifamily syndication team. Just had a recent closing. We'll talk about that. He's the host of Tough Decisions for Entrepreneurs and Real Estate Investors podcast based in Columbia, South Carolina. His website, toughdecisions.net. You can go check that out. So with that being said, Dan, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Sure. So as you mentioned in the intro there, I have five specialty medical clinics. They're non-surgical orthopedic medical clinics. We do a lot of regenerative medicine, prolotherapy, PRP, stem cell, and some sports medicine. So we have just about 50 employees now and 50 team members in that particular organization. And earlier this year, I stepped away from doing that full-time and moved into multifamily real estate full-time. And I was in multifamily as far as doing research and educating myself for probably about a year prior 
to when I stepped out. So it's been you know, a good year and a half, two years that I've been kind of diving into the multifamily arena, but never really found the time to be able to focus on it until I stepped away to not have to focus on those clinics. And wasn't that I just completely ignore the clinics now. I still have a 30,000 foot view and oversight on those clinics. And I have a good CEO in the position there and also look at financial reports on a Monday. I call them my Monday morning reports. So I have three different departments in the company that sends me those reports. And then also have a two hour corporate director meeting once a month with my team. And then I also have, like you had mentioned, a couple other online companies. I've had those for a little over 10 years now, and those continue to produce a pretty significant cash flow as well. What are the online companies? The main one uh, is uh, one called Shop Anatomical, and we sell skeletons and skulls and brains and hearts and anatomical models and various things like that. We also have a company that we sell portable chiropractic tables, and we also have one where we sell chiropractic supplies. Okay. And why move into multifamily when you have these ventures that are doing well? I will say that the main reason is because of the tax advantages of it. So whenever you're sitting there starting to generate some good income for yourself, you start to have to write six-figure checks to the government, which is where my position was. And I was to a point where I was just getting frustrated with that. And I knew that real estate was a way to reduce some of that taxable liability and to be able to have that money start working for you and you know, because of you know depreciation and various things like that. And so I knew real estate was what I wanted to go do, but I didn't know for sure which asset class was going to be the best one. So, But with multifamily, as you know, being able to do cost segregation and being able to do accelerated depreciation and bonus depreciation, cash buying cash flowing properties that the day you close, you're making money. And then at the end of the year, showing a loss due to the depreciation, which can offset other gains in other areas. Obviously, I'm not a tax advisor or accountant or anything like that or an attorney, but there's definitely some advantages to investing in and with that depreciation, being able to reduce the taxable liability. So you founded Hanford Capital, which buys those properties and you syndicate the deals with your investors. Why found a company and be active compared to enjoying those tax benefits as a passive investor in deals? Well, in my arena, I had a coaching business at the same time, and I still do it today where I coach and mentor other physicians to build clinics like I have done. And because of that, I have a lot of people in my circle that also want to be able to do these types of investments. And I'm not in a position where we're going to talk a little bit about this deal we closed in Greenville, South Carolina a little while ago in December, but I don't have the ability to just write a check for $2.5 million or whatever to take a deal down. But I want to be able to allow other people that I've worked with and family and friends and various acquaintances to be able to take advantage of these same things that they don't have the time to do it because I didn't have the time to do it. But now that I can step away from my business and it still runs the way I want it to run and still continues to produce cash flow. And now I can also start another entity because I'll be honest, Joe, I tried to retire 35 years old. That was how old I was 2018. And I tried to retire for about a week and a half. I stepped away from the business. Everything was going on. It was all passive and I was doing nothing. And I was bored to tears. Yep. Obviously everybody loves to be able to say, Oh, I retired early or whatever. But for me, I'm retired. This is just something that I'm doing to benefit me and my family and my friends and acquaintances and various things like that. So I don't have to do what I'm doing. I can stop what I'm doing today and, and I will be fine. My family will be fine. But it's a matter of keeping myself busy with something that I feel like is going to be bigger and better and greater than what I've already done, but can also help a lot of other people at the same time. Mm -hmm. Well, 
with the deal that you mentioned in South Carolina, tell us about that and what are the details on that one? Sure. I really like this deal a lot. So I'm originally from Greenville, South Carolina. That's where I grew up. I drove by this property, not drove, but I've been by this property as I was growing up for the first 27 years of my life. So to say that I know this property and I know this market, I know it very, very well. And one of our other partners in our group also lived there for 15 to 20 years, somewhere around in there. And so we're very bullish on Greenville and like it a lot. And this was a deal that came across our desk and we started doing some research on it. And it was one of those ones that we got very emotionally attached to. And it's very hard sometimes to stick with your numbers and, and not try to overinflate your numbers when you're really passionate about a project. That's why you sometimes, not sometimes, you should always remove the emotion part of it from the actual decision-making part of it. You have to base it off of logic at the same time. Yep. And that is one thing that we did properly on this one. So obviously we were very emotionally attached to it, but my background in business and being able to remove emotions from things, I have the ability of being able to do that. And it's also good because at the time we had just two of us in our group. And so we both balanced each other out and made sure that we didn't go over our number. So this was a 130 unit property in Greenville, South Carolina, and it's a C-class property in a up-and-coming B neighborhood. So it's kind of a C-plus, B-minus neighborhood going up and kind of turning out the direction. So when we got this property and started doing the research on it, one of the things that we always look at on a property is, is what are some hidden value-add pieces to it that not a lot of people are looking at? Because it's those hidden value adds that can really be a game changer as far as the numbers on a property and to whether or not a deal can actually make sense. So we were told that on this property, if we're going to be in the best and final, that we needed to make sure our offer was between $8.4 million and $8.8 million. So we got in and we were like, well, the numbers work at 8.8, .8, so we don't want to go in right at 8.8. .8. So we went in right at 8.75. So our first offer on it was 8.75, and we were putting $100,000 earnest money deposit down. That went hard day one after signing the PSA. Is that typical in the sub-market, non-refundable day one? I would say or it's not usually, but in the market the way we are right now, it is. Okay, so you weren't the only group doing that? No, no. Okay. I don't think all the groups that were offering were doing that. So it was one of the benefits of us getting into the best and final round. So we put the offer in, a week goes by, we hear back from the broker, we're in best and final. There's like 35, 40 bids on that property and we were in the top five. So we got into the best and final round on this and they changed things up on us. So originally they told us 8.4 to 8.8. .8, and originally the broker said, you offer 8.8, .8, that gets it done. So we got the word back that we're in best and final. And the broker says, new pricing guidance. <laughs> and they're like, now the new pricing guidance is 9.1 million. So they went up from 8.8 .8 to 9.1, an additional 300,000. So of course, the whole thing about going into best and final, Joe, is for me that I look at these and I go, is the broker just making me compete with myself? Am I the only one who's in this position or are there other people that are actually higher than us or that would actually offer higher than us? And you don't ever really know. So you're kind of playing that psychological game in your head about where should we actually put the numbers? And so, you know, you'd basically have to just go back to your underwriting and run the numbers and run the scenarios and say, which number works? So you have to, again, remove that psychological component and not worry about one, what the seller paid for it, because they're going to make money off of it. Otherwise, they wouldn't have bought it to begin with, right? At least hopefully they are. 
So you can't just look at that number and you can't look at what is somebody else going to possibly do. You have to look at it and say, what can I do on this property and just make your best offer? So we ran the scenarios back and forth and ended up putting in a best and final offer at $8.9 million and still kept the hard money day one at $100,000. And then a couple of days went by and sure enough, we got outbid. So I believe it was a publicly traded REIT that got in front of us and they were putting up $200,000 earnest money to deposit hard day one. And of course, offered $300,000 more than we did. So they obviously got the deal. Of course, we're looking back at our numbers the day we hear back from Best and Final that we didn't get it. And we're going, well, let's see if uh, 9.2 works or maybe we can increase our hard money or what can we do to make this work? And that was the emotional piece of it. So my partner at the time, he's still my partner in these deals is Brandon. We have another partner with us now as well. But Brandon at the time, it was just him and I. And so we're going back and forth going, we could make it work at 9.2 and blah, 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 blah. It would stretch it a little bit and make things a little bit tight, but we could make it work. I wonder if we should go back. And we both had to step back, take a breather. No, the number works really well at 8.9. Great returns for investors. We don't want to go up from there. Let's move on to the next property because there will be other properties that will come along and we'll find the next one. Yep. So that's what we did. We basically just washed our hands from that one and moved on to the next deals and started doing some more property tours and submitting some more offers. And four weeks later, we get a phone call from the broker on that deal. And I knew exactly why he was calling. So he was calling on myself when I saw his name on there. And I'm like, I wonder if he's calling about that deal. (laughs) (laughs) And sure enough, picked up the phone and he's like, Hey man, the original buyer we offered it to couldn't get the deal done. So I've talked to the sellers and there's a couple of people ahead of you that have a little higher bids, but they really feel like you guys have the track record to be able to get the deal done and that you can actually close the deal. Why did they say they feel like you have the track record if this was the first deal? Well, we had partnered with other groups to be capital raising partners on other deals. So being able to do that, because when we're raising capital for other deals, we're able to jump on the general partnership of that deal. So now it's our deal. We can kind of allow for when we're showing brokers and showing sellers and other investors that we can close other deals. So that in and of itself, I think is what at the end of the day helped us get that deal because they saw that we closed four or 500 units already this year. And they're like, well, these guys can get the job done. And I think that is really what helped kind of set us over the edge and kind of bring us above what the other higher bidders might've been. And I don't know what the pieces of it was. Maybe they didn't have any hard money and we did. And even though we were a little bit lower, they felt like we had a better track record, more risk. So they knew we can get it done. Mm -hmm. And so we got the deal. We got the offer and LOI signed. And one of the biggest things I was curious about was at the time, I'm a businessman, right? So I have this slant to me of wanting to be, a negotiator, right? I want to make sure I get the best deal. So that was my biggest question was, is should we pull some string? All the levers are on our side now because they're coming back to us. Should we lower our earnest money or should we lower our offer price or whatever? And we decided not to do that. We decided to just make that broker's life easy and being able to make that broker's life easy, it'll pay us back down the road and in paying dividends. And I actually got a phone call from that broker a couple of days ago, thanking us for the ease of closing this deal because they were wanting to get it done within 60 days. And we had never done a full raise before, just ourselves. So of course, we're going back and forth wondering, can we get it done in 60 days? And thankfully, we were able to negotiate an extension of 30 days if we needed it, but they really didn't want to do that. Did you need it? 
No, we didn't. So oddly enough, about three weeks before closing, we get a call from the broker and the broker's like, can we push back the closing by another week because the seller wants an extra week? <laughs> and I think it had something to do with their payment date and their payoff period and something like that. And and we basically went back to our lender on the deal and said, is this something we can do? And they're like, no, not really. Not unless we have to modify a bunch of stuff and it just, it's just going to be a lot more work on our end. So we basically had to tell them, no, we want to close on that date, December 14th. So sure enough, they were fine with that. And they just thought what they'd ask just in case and everything went smoothly. And it was definitely a lot of work to do, especially being the very first deal that we put together ourselves for our team. But thankfully we have a good team put together and we were able to raise the amount of money we needed in a period of about four or five days. It was about 2.5 million. What are some things you learned from that experience? Always have backup investors. When you get to a point of raising money for a large deal like this, you think, okay, in four or five days, we raised 2.5 million, right? Well, those were all soft commitments. And that doesn't mean that they're all going to fund, right? So I think one of the things that we're doing moving forward is even though we might have to raise 2.5, we're going to set that bar at like 3 million and make sure that we can have enough people on backup that if somebody does drop by, because that was one of the things that was probably one of the most stressful things for us is that a week before closing, we had one of our investors that was bringing in about 10% of that have a lawsuit against him. And so he decided that he didn't want to put any money in the deal, but he didn't tell us until a week before closing. So now we're stuck with trying to come up with another $250,000 before closing and it's seven days before. You know? and so it puts a little bit of a heat behind you and we were able to do it. We had the money to close and we had everything done by that time, but it just created a lot of extra angst that we didn't really need. And if we had some backup investors, we could just say, hey, this person dropped out. Do you want in now? And be able to have that as a backup, I think would be a big step in the right direction to reduce the amount of stress involved with the whole situation. How do you structure your team? You mentioned you've got a couple business partners. Sure. I'm a big believer in always being out and networking and being a part of various groups because as you start into this business of multifamily syndication, you're going to need to have a team around you. And yes, when we talk about teams, some people talk about a team as being, oh, you need an attorney for this and then an attorney for that and then an accountant and a broker and a property management company and all those pieces. And yes, you do need all of those and those are all part of your team. But at the same time, when you start to do these larger deals like this, one of the things that I found is that I can't do it all. You know, there's no way that I can always be focusing on raising money and always be focusing on trying to find the next deal and always be focusing on the due diligence and all this kind of stuff that has to happen on a deal we're closing right now. So it's a lot of work. And I would say that I could probably do it, but I couldn't do it as well if I had a team and I wouldn't be able to scale. Like, for example, if I'm sitting here trying to do the due diligence and working with the lender and working with the attorney and trying to get a deal closed, I'm going to be neglecting the fact that I need continuing to look for investors and find more capital. And I'm also not going to be able to have the time and energy and efforts to be able to find the next deal. So you lose the ability to raise enough capital for that deal or future deals. And you also lose the ability of not being able to find that next deal. So you can't scale. You can't get to that next level by scaling as fast as you want to scale. So my team is built up of three people. So I have one gentleman, Danny Randazzo, who is our financial side of things. He's a former financial analyst and he loves spreadsheet. And I'm not the type of person that 
likes to sit there and take the T12 and the rent roll and pull them apart and piecemeal them and put them in a spreadsheet. But I do like to look at the finished product. So he goes in and does all of that. And then we can actually sit down and have a conversation about the finished product. And then I can pull it apart. And that's kind of what I do with my own businesses now is, is I get financial reports every week and I can sit there and look at them and look at the summaries and pull them apart and pick them apart and, and find areas of improvement. And that's what his role is. But he does the underwriting piece of it. But he does like on this deal with the Greenville, South Carolina, 130 unit one. He was working with the attorneys to get him all the documents for closing. He was working with the seller's attorney, getting them documents that they need, working with the property management company that we have and looking through all the financials on the property and doing the, doing the financial due diligence side of things. And so he was very, very active in being able to do that. And also when we're doing due diligence on other areas, He's active in that. And then also the post-closing stuff, the actual asset management, looking at the spreadsheets on a monthly and a weekly basis is really what he's been doing. And then our other partner, Brandon, Brandon Abbott, he works primarily, his background is in construction and property and casualty. So he has a background of being able to do good estimates and inspections and various things like that. And so he kind of does what I like to call our pre-LOI inspection. So he can go in and tour the property and throw a drone up in the air, do 3D modeling of each one of the buildings, see what it's going to cost to paint the whole thing if we need to, or replace the facade, or look at the age of the roof and really be able to get down very grand into what it's going to actually cost us to do any of our CapEx items. So he has that in his background and he's right now very active in the Greenville property to try to get some of that stuff done because we know that market very well. We know a lot of the contractors there. He used to do construction in that market. So he's pulling some strings on some of his personal contacts, which has helped us be able to get some better rates on some of the labor and some of the material and various things like that. And then of course myself, I'm primarily in the investor relations side of things. I put together all of the marketing materials for each property that we do and working on the conference calls and also um, from the investor relations side of things, I'm always looking for additional investors. So I've created a platform to be able to do that as well. As you look back on your transition from what you were doing to now being fully focused on real estate and multifamily in particular, what's something that has been easier during this transition than what you initially thought it would be? I would say that finding investors has actually been the easiest piece. And I don't say that in the fact that it's like an easy process, but to be able to put yourself in a position of authority and building credibility and being able to meet somebody one time and then the next week being able to continue to build that relationship with them, but then them being able to talk to you about a deal and, and actually put in money. I've had many people that now I've been communicating with via email or Facebook or LinkedIn. And then I do a meetup and I go and visit with them. And the next deal we have, they put $50,000, $100,000 into it. And to me, I looked at that when I, when I was first starting to come in, I was like, man, that was actually quite easy. Like I didn't even have to call them up and explain it to them. They just saw the deal and committed to it and wired the money. So obviously, it's always a constant process of trying to find investors. But once you find the investors that really trust you, I thought that was actually an easier piece, especially even some of my close family and friends. I had just yesterday or two days ago, I was on the phone with an investor that I did work with him like 10 years ago. 
and you saw some of the stuff on LinkedIn, since we were connected on LinkedIn that we were doing with the multifamily investing. And he messaged me and said, hey, what are you doing now? I thought you were a chiropractor. You're not doing that anymore? So I got on a phone call with him and started talking to him about it. He goes, man, he goes, I got a lot of cash in my account. He goes, I have some IRAs and 401ks and I got stuff in the stock market. I would love to be able to invest with you. So can you put me on your deal flow list? I'm like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> so that to me has been quite an easy process. What has been harder than what you thought it would be? I would say a lot of people that I talked to before getting into the space really deep, you go to events and they kind of sell you on the fact that it's just an easy process. There's just so many deals out there and so much cash and so much this and so much that. And it's just, it's an easy, just find the deal and close it. But really going through the full process this is a full-time job. There's a lot of work to go involved with this. So that to me, I think is one of the reasons why I really am enjoying having other partners that are helping in other areas because I don't have the bandwidth, nor do I want to be able to put the bandwidth towards just doing this full-time. Like I don't want to have to do that. Even though right now it's, it's pretty much a full-time gig that I'm doing, I still feel like I'm in a position where I could step away and go away for a week or two weeks or even a month. I could probably step away and just do nothing. But to be able to have that flexibility and freedom, I think is what a lot of people are looking for. And so, yes, this type of business can provide that to you, but I don't think you'd be able to do that if it was just you doing all the deals yourself. Based on your experience, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? Always be looking for the next deal and your next investor. Because that's how you're going to continue to grow your portfolio is, especially in this large multifamily space of 100 units or more, you got to be looking for that money to be able to put into the deal. And I think that another important key distinction that a lot of investors appreciate about our group is that we don't just look for other people's money. We're putting our own hard-earned money into these deals and these projects, and they want to see that. So I think that's probably one of the biggest things is, is that when you're trying to do this, try to have enough capital that you could put it in yourself as well. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Go. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Best ever listeners, best ever conference. That's where you want to be. February 22nd and 23rd in Denver, Colorado. Put in the code TAKE5, T-A-K-E, and the number five to get an extra 5% off. Ticket prices go up weekly, so buy it today, besteverconference.com. You can read all about the conference at the website, all about the speakers. You can read about them and what you will experience when you're there, besteverconference.com. Have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called Tough Decisions? Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net. Best ever book you've recently read? Best ever book that I've recently read? I would say that the 10X Rule by Grant Cardone. Best ever deal you've done that we have not talked about before? It doesn't necessarily have to be a real estate deal. I would say me paying for a coach that helped me get to the next level. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction? <laughs> Does it have to be real estate related? <laughs> Let's do two. The one you're thinking about, whatever that is, plus a real estate one. So what's the one you're thinking about? Sure. So the one I'm thinking about is, is where I actually paid $25,000 for a mentor and ended up only working with him for two weeks. And he basically still stuck it to me and told me I had to continue to pay, had to be able to fulfill that obligation. And I did because that's what I originally told him, but I only talked to him for like two weeks and that was it. 
So that was my, probably my biggest mistake. And what about on a real estate deal? As far as real estate, I would say when we were building these medical clinics, we were, of course, you know, looking for commercial property. And one of them we signed a lease on that I had a personal guarantee on. And I realized very quickly that I didn't want to do that. So I, I don't do personal guarantees on any of our leases anymore. Best ever way you'd like to give back to the community? Well, I'm very active in our church, and there's a lot of different activities that happen around our church. And so that's one of the things that, as a, from a charity standpoint, that I donate quite a bit of money to our church and various opportunities through our church. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you got going on and get in touch with you? You can go to our website, HanfordCapital.com, and find out more information about our group. If you want to join us, be one of our investor partners, or just reach out to me. We also have a group called Multifamily Investor Nation. You can go to multifamilyinvestornation.com and find out more information about that as well. Well, Dan, thank you so much for talking about the transition you've made and the focus on multifamily and the deal that you did and the lessons learned on that one. I hear fairly frequently people missing out on deals, but then three, four, five weeks later, then they get a call from the broker and then being awarded the deal. So there's certainly opportunities still be awarded a deal if we don't initially get it plus the lesson learned with the investors and having investors on backup as well as just your overall approach to really focusing on your strong suit and having the right team members around you who like to do what they like to do and complement your skill sets so thanks again for being on the show hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon you too have you heard about the latest podcast for entrepreneurs called tough decisions Listen to Dan and Danae Hanford as they interview successful people from around the world about tough decisions as entrepreneurs. Visit toughdecisions.net and be sure to subscribe to their free weekly entrepreneurial email. That's toughdecisions.net.